Yeah, you know, one comes to mind, you know, and this, this, you know, another story from the Ave Maria days. Uh, I was, uh, I was visiting with, uh, with, with a great, uh, great guy, great supporter. And, uh, we, uh, we ended up talking about hot sauce for like hours, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and, uh, you know, just, uh, we went through the whole gamut, right? I mean, your, your, your Chalua, your Red Hot, your Tabasco. And we, we dissected that in and out. And, we, you know, we looked up the, you know, the, the stock, you know, profiles of each company, the history, how they were founded, et cetera. And, you know, I, I came away, you know, probably, uh, I probably should have said more about, you know, the purpose I was there, frankly. You know, I, but but we, we, we just found such a common bond around hot sauce that there was, uh, there was, there was no need to, uh, to take it further than that, I guess. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Thank you for tuning in to One Visit Away. Today's guest is John Knowles, a director with Legatus. John believes that the two most powerful and liberating forces in history are Christianity and free market capitalism, and he has built his career working directly at their intersection within the context of contemporary American culture. Drawing from his unique and accomplished background as a prolific public affairs strategist and business development executive, John conveys an unforgettable message that reminds audiences of the proven principles of Western civilization clearly illustrates how faith and business walk hand in hand and boldly envisions a future where rediscovery of these truths will light up a seemingly dimming world. I hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with John Knowles. If you've been listening for a while now and you're getting value from the show, go ahead into Apple Podcasts right now and leave a rating and review on the show. It really helps out a lot in getting the show to more people. And if you found value in this, if it's helped you to become a better Major Gifts fundraiser, I'd really appreciate you taking just the two to three minutes it takes to leave that rating and review. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Well, welcome to One Visit Away, John. Thanks for being here. It's a privilege. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, so tell everybody uh, who you are and who you work for. Well, hello, everybody. My name is John Knowles, and I presently serve as Legatus Director for the Northeast, based uh, in eastern Pennsylvania in the uh, greater New York City metropolitan area. My responsibility is to uh, manage the operations of this organization and serve its members from Virginia to New England, uh, 1,000 Legatus members and 20 uh, Legatus chapters across the eastern seaboard. Legatus is the world's only membership organization for Roman Catholic CEOs and senior-level corporate executives. We were founded 34 years ago by the iconic Catholic entrepreneur Tom Monahan, fulfilling a charge from Pope St. John Paul II to evangelize the world's community of corporate leaders and business executives. That's awesome. So tell everybody, for those that don't know, you said he's an iconic entrepreneur. What, uh, what was his big, big impact on the, on the business world? that arrives at our homes on many, many football game days. Sure. Well, well, you know, I'm from, uh, I'm from Detroit originally and every Catholic kid in Detroit knows Tom Monahan's name. I mean, he's well known beyond that too, but especially in Southeast Michigan and, you know, his biggest achievement in, in the business, business space was uh, taking his one store pizza shop, uh, you know, in Yipsa, Michigan, a little town that, you know, a few people have heard of 
and, and taking it to be the biggest pizza company in the world, Domino's Pizza. And, uh, you know, his run at Domino's was absolutely incredible. There was a time where he was opening up three stores a day. Uh, it was one of, one of the great stories of, of corporate growth and expansion in our country's history. And he, he absolutely crushed it. It's just an amazing, amazing tale. And then after that, he, uh, he became a, a Catholic philanthropist and still is, uh, mainly in the higher education space. He started Ave Maria University, Ave Maria School of Law, and, uh, and of course, Legatus, which, uh, you know, is a very special uh, organization for him, which he started in 1987. The only organization of its kind bring together Catholic CEOs and corporate executives around the world. Yeah, that's awesome. So for everybody, now you'll always be reminded of yet another wonderful legacy of the Catholic Church, Domino's Pizza. <laughs> that's <Every> right. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and are there, you've been in fundraising for a while now and, and we all just love hearing a good story about a, a visit or a gift that came in. Is there Anything that comes to mind is one of your favorite visits from your career? Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, one that comes to mind was when I was at, at Ave Maria as the, uh, as the development director. And uh, I, I think th- those early big gifts, right? I mean, like, uh, so, so just to set the table a little bit, you know, Ave Maria School of Law was a very young law school when I, when I became a member of the staff and, and served as development director. It had been around for about 10 years. And, uh, you know, uh, most higher education institutions, as many of your listeners are aware, you know, rely on their alumni and friends and parents and supporters to provide a lot of the philanthropy. That's just, that's just the model, of course. So when you're at a new institution, there's just, there's just fewer of those, you know, there's fewer alumni, there's fewer, fewer parents and other supporters involved. So, you know, it, it was a particularly acute challenge. The, the most memorable accomplishments I have in, in my career as a fundraiser were, the, were those first, you know, decent sized gifts we were able to secure for Ave Maria School Law. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, people that were really drawn to the mission of, uh, of, of the law school that, you know, had gotten to know our leadership, that had been well-served, well-stewarded. Uh, for, for me to be very early uh, in my career as a professional fundraiser, uh, to have a role in, in those initial gifts coming in, you know, decent-sized gifts for Auburn Maria School of Law, uh, that, just, that just meant the world to me. And it, and it just filled my heart with joy. And it really made me passionate about the mission to know that these people that you could give to any, you know, a lot of different causes. I'd chosen Ave Maria and chosen uh, myself and our team, you know, to, to invest in. I'll, I'll never forget those. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular that you can recall, like how you how you found out who the person was, how you got the visit scheduled, or what were some of the things that y'all talked about that led to them giving a gift? Yeah. So, so one thing, and, and again, the Ave Maria model was very, very unique in that, you know, we were... Uh, we were doing a lot of publicity and a lot of, you know, kind of public relations promotion, being a, you know, both a new, a new school, a new player in the private law school space. And we had just moved the law school from Michigan to Florida for the very first time. Right. So, uh, I mean, these are both, there never been a law school to move from one part of the country to another. So, you know, on the initial stages, you know, we were, we were just trying to get the word out. We were just you know trying to inform people about, you know, what we were trying to do with Ave Maria, why we were an exceptional option for legal education. And uh, so the initial uh, interest that we received was responsive to that campaign of public relations, you know, pushing out the word about the law school, hosting great events with national figures, you know, speaking and endorsing the law school. Uh, so, so it's interesting. A lot of it came in, you know, through aerial activity. And so, like, people would attend one of these events or they would respond to some of the media we pushed out. And, and there was a lot of 
there was a lot of, you know, kind of intake that was responsive to that. So people would come to our events, they would say, Hey, I, I really like what I saw. I'd like to, I'd like to learn more. And, and that's how, uh, the, that initial class of intermediate range donors, uh, got involved was, was responsive to that public relations activity. And then, um, you know, I would, I would say in terms of forming the, the relationship beyond that, uh, the, the nice thing about it was, you know, we, we knew these were faithful Catholics. We knew these were people that understood why legal education was such a, such a critical thing to invest in, both for the future of the church and the future of our country. And by the way, the last 10 years, last 20 years have really validated that in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it, it was a great place to start from. And we had this gorgeous setting. You know, we were in Naples, Florida, with just, just absolutely spectacular weather and you know, sunshine and uh you know, we, 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 had a, we had a fresh new, uh, you know, institution we were presenting. It, it, was, it was just, uh, I just remember being filled with a ton of positive energy and a ton of joy and feeling really good about the whole thing. And it, it was a great place to break the ice with, with, with new benefactors. Yeah, for sure. And so, so I'm curious, was there anyone who, you made that point about how a lot of colleges, especially older places, like you look somewhere like, uh, I don't know, Harvard, <laughs> there is no shortage of people who who went to Harvard, uh, who went on to do extraordinarily well in business, might come from families of great wealth. And so they're given, you know, seven, eight figure gifts back to Harvard. How long was it before? I, w- I would assume that Ave Maria has received uh, some seven figure gifts in its in its history. Uh do you recall or know how any of those people came to to make that decision when they might like they they didn't go to Ave Maria? Uh, so any any thoughts on that? It was all about mission resonance. You know what I mean? Like uh, you know the uh, you know the message that we we put out, which was it was so sincere and and so congruent, was that we were a mission driven organization that was trying to solve a particular problem in society. We, we thought that, you know, the, you know, the American legal system, American culture would benefit from having a, a genuinely Catholic Orthodox approach to the law. And that would be good for the church and would be good for the broader culture. And because we were able to so uh, authentically and persuasively present that case, uh, that mission resonance is, is what advanced people from being uh, curious to, to advocates to ultimately, uh, you know, benefactors and financial supporters of the institution. Yeah. Awesome. Are there any, uh, one of the questions I like to ask people is if there's any visits they've been on that were something particularly funny happened or like a worst visit where something terrible occurred. Anything come to mind? Yeah. You know, one comes to mind, you know, and this, this, you know, another story from the Ave Maria days, uh, I was, uh, I was visiting with, uh, with, with a great, uh, great guy, great supporter. And, uh, we uh, we ended up talking about hot sauce for like hours, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and uh, you know, just uh, we went through the whole gamut, right? I mean, your your, your Cholula, your Red Hot, your Tabasco, and we, we dissected that in and out, and we you know we looked up the you know the, the stock you know profiles of each company, the history, <laughs> how they were founded, etc. And you know, I, I came away, you know, probably uh, I probably should have said more about you know the purpose I was there, frankly, and I, but. But we, we, we just found such a common bond around hot sauce that there was uh, there was there was no need to uh, to take it further than that I guess so I think that was a funny one <laughs> that is so awesome one of the things about Legatus that uh, 
I think is interesting about the model, as far as I understand, is there, there's a membership fee to be in Legatus. So that provides a certain level of revenue for the organization. How do you balance that with raising money? Because certainly people who are members of Legatus and are paying their membership fee also give a gift to Legatus. Uh, but how do you how do you broach that topic in a way that you know because because just thinking about it myself, I would think, well, why why can't they just run the organization off the management fee? Why do I need a I mean off the membership fee? Why do I need to give something else? Well, well, well sure. So uh, yeah, Legatus's annual dues support you know two big buckets of uh, of uh, uh, of operations. You know, one is the operation of our of our national staff. We have 25 uh, employees, uh, you know, about half of whom are based in our, our headquarters in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and about half who are stationed out in the field, like myself, uh, that, that serve our members and stay in the organization. So about half of our, you know, part of, I won't say half, but about part, you know, a little, little less than half of, 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 of uh, members dues goes to support that, that national uh, oversight. And then the, uh, the second part, Funds the, the local operations, you know, the, the monthly chapter meetings that are, that are such a big part of the Legatus curriculum. The majority of our, our members do supports that local uh, programming, which is the bread and butter of our organization and our main offering uh, for the past 34 years. We also have an opportunity to give to the Legatus endowment for those that want to, you know, support our, uh, our organization in, more, in, 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 in a stronger way, in a more intentional way. Uh, you know, with an estate gift or, or with, with some other kind of direct gift, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and, and your, your contributions are tax deductible, the full extent of the law. The, the reason that somebody would do that is because Legatus has had a big part in their life and they want to make sure this organization can uh, sustain itself and thrive for years and years to come. We have a big vision in Legatus. We want to fill out North America, have a Legatus chapter in every city in North America, and then ultimately take this organization worldwide serve the rest of the world and create a global network of Catholic CEOs and business executives. And the only way we can do that is to build enough, build up enough reserve to, uh, to take our mission uh, abroad where, where, you know, the endeavor is going to be much more expensive and much more challenging than just, you know, filling out the United States and Canada. So I would say that the, the reason people are giving the goddesses endowment and, and will continue to give, I believe is because they recognize the power of this organization to transform someone's life personally. But furthermore, they recognize that having Legatus as a feature of American life and, and the life of the global community is important for the future of the church and, the, and important for the future of, of society as a whole. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think w- what it comes back to is, you know, knowing, I, I think th- there's this concept of as the development officer being ex- extremely passionate about the cause and understanding why it matters is what gives you that motivation to make the phone calls, to schedule the visits, to get in front of people and ask them for a significant gift. Uh, and so could you, what have you seen, I guess, as someone who's managed uh, fundraising professionals, is that a quality that you see frequently with people who are successful? And are there other qualities that, that you find are common among high performers? The, 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 uh, the, the refusal of fear of rejection, I think is the key piece. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so hard to develop. And, and, and especially in our, in our society these days where the expectation is that, 
you know, I, it's interesting, you know, the, the way we used to talk about failure in the society is that, you know, that was a, a step towards success. I mean, if you study any of the great entrepreneurs of the 19th century, the 20th century, oh my gosh, every big name in our, in our country's history had such a ridiculous record of failure, yeah. humiliating <laughs> failure. Uh, you know, it, it's absolutely insane. Everybody tried like 12 different things that were total, total uh, frustrating failures, and then they broke through. That used to be the message of American life. So when you saw a, a guy or a gal, you know, scraping by, really trying hard, but not necessarily achieving success, you would have respect for that person because you knew they were working towards something and they were trying their hardest. I think in fundraising, unlike any other profession, that mantra still exists as, as a truth to this day because in our in our business, in our in our in our vocation, uh, you will you will experience failure every single day. And uh, you will be rejected. You'll be told you're doing everything wrong. You'll be told that you're annoying me. Yeah, you're, you're going to be disrespected at times. You know what I mean? That's going to happen. But you somehow have to develop the, the mentality that uh, you believe so much in yourself. You believe so much in what you're doing that you're going to push through. And, and for me, a turning point in that uh, came early in my career where, uh, where uh, a, a mentor, a fundraiser, a very successful fundraiser that I respect a lot said, Put the, put the mission first, put the cause first. Then it's not John Knowles being disrespected or humiliated or whatever. You're, you're, you're coming into the conversation or the presentation as a representative of a mission or a cause. And if you really believe in that, if, and if you know that regardless of if one person agrees with you or a billion people agree with you, that it's a worthwhile cause, it's a worthwhile mission, uh, you, you can survive any embarrassment or humiliation because you put the cause before your own personal ego and your own personal weaknesses, and that's how you survive that. My, my message to your listeners that are concerned about this is the only way you'll work through that is by demonstrating courage and strength uh, over and over and over again each and every day, and eventually you will, you will develop the resilience to persevere through it. It will not happen instantly, but it will happen if you don't give yeah, up. That's awesome. Man, that, that was a solid... Uh solid call to to forging ahead i love the uh and i love that so one time i was i was working with someone who i could tell was scared of that rejection and wouldn't would avoid asking uh for a gift because well it was just very obvious that this person was was afraid to get rejected and so so he wouldn't do it and i and I talked to him about it and he, he would not admit that he was afraid. He was like, I'm not afraid. And, and so it was just impossible to get past it. Cause like, if you can't admit what the problem is, then you can't overcome it. And what I love about what you're saying is like, we, everybody needs to hear this. All of us at fundraisers, there are times, I don't care how long you've been doing this. There is some person you're going to call to schedule a visit, or there's some gift you're going to ask for where your heart starts pumping and your palms start sweating and you're, you're just nervous about it. Cause it is, it is a crazy thing to ask someone for a gift. That's, you know, maybe a hundred times more than your annual salary. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just understanding that that is normal and it's part of successful people's experience, but it's just that ability to, like you said, move through that knowing that we're here for the people that we serve uh, because we know that our humiliation or our rejection 
is a uh, worthy price to pay for, you know, saving a soul or saving a life. Yeah, Kevin, I love that. And, and then the other piece of it, too, and I think this is important to emphasize, this is a team sport in fundraising, yes. okay? So you, you're going to develop strength and you're, you're going to develop confidence by having very close relationships with your teammates, with, with, your, with your boss, with your board members, with your volunteers, but especially with your fellow development officers, both in your organization and in the broader ecosystem. And you got to be very vulnerable in those conversations. You just got to say to your teammate, hey, I got this, I got this project I'm working on. I have, these, uh, I have this couple I'm, I'm, uh, I'm talking with, and I, I, I'm nervous about it. I'm scared. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've never done anything like this before. I, I don't know if I can do it. Share that vulnerability. Give them an opportunity to walk alongside you. And I can't even tell you how much that'll, that, that'll prepare you for that, for that big moment at the plate when you're swinging the yeah. bat for the fences. Uh, rely on your, on, on your teammates and your fellow fundraisers to get you through yeah. it. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that. And this idea of I noticed uh, with myself when I was first getting started, and I think with a lot of fundraisers, we want to put off this. We don't want to let people know that we're not like the most BA fundraiser on the world. And I just wake up and there's 10 million in the bank because I'm a beast. And like, don't do that. Like if, if you don't know how to, if you don't know how to do something like, you know, overcome an objection on the phone, like talk to somebody at your organization about it and say like, Hey, I don't know how to do this well. And I want some help. And that could, that simple thing could be the the like oh well here's some advice on that or here's a book that I read that really helped me out and unless you're willing to do that you're just going to be pretending to be amazing and then you know never achieve your potential. Yeah, I, no, I, I love that. And, and remember, on the other side, when your teammate comes to you like that, open your heart. To yeah, them. you know, drop what you're doing, put the cell phone down, close down the email. Look at them right in their eyes, you know, you know, develop physical proximity and say, I am 100% zeroed in on you right now. I'm just going to listen. Yeah. Dump it on me. I'm going to listen at the end. You and I are going to decide how we're going to do this together. I got to tell you that somebody did that. A few people have done that to me in my, in, in my career. I'll never forget the people that did it. I'll never forget the moment they did mm-hmm. it. It changed my life. It happens too rarely in the world. It happens too rarely in our profession. Yeah, exactly. And I think that rareness leads to if you go ask somebody for help they're gonna give it to you because like people i mean i think about my uh i don't know if you know mike murray for any reason so he he was my original mentor and i i interned for him at heroic media and when i went on mike left to go work in another organization but i would call him i mean i think sometimes every day for like, because I had no idea what I was doing, but he was always there to to help me out, and uh, and so now any anytime somebody comes to me, you know, of course I'm gonna, of course I'm gonna help them, like, and and so the more we can kind of you know replicate those experiences, the the better we're all gonna become. And think about the, the the second level effect of that too. I mean, like they say, organizations move at the speed of trust. So you doing that within your organization and then in the broader ecosystem community of, of fundraisers, you're, you're creating a, you know, a, 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 a trust uh, coefficient that's going to lift up all of us. And by extension, it's going to lift up the causes we care about. Right. And, and maybe we won't see it tomorrow. Maybe we won't see it next year. 
But, you know, towards towards the end of our lives, I think we're going to see this beautiful flourishing because we decided that we were going to live counterculturally. We decided that everything that we hear out in the media, everything we see on the Internet, the TV, we reject it. We are going to behave in a Christ-like way. It's all about fraternity. It's all about building trust and loving each other. And we're going to see we're going to see great results from it. I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, any any other uh, stories come to mind that you'd like to share, John? So, uh, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. The, the, the most successful visits have been the ones where, uh, where I was determined to listen, right? You know what I mean? Just, uh, when, 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 you know, when you, we all have that little voice in our head, you know, that says, Hey, you know, do a name dropping, you know, uh, tell some ego validating, you know, personal story, make it about you. We all have that little voice in our head, right? You, you gotta suppress that. You gotta remember that, the, the, the donor or the benefactor or the prospect that's giving you their time, they're doing you a big favor. They're giving you a huge gift. They've been generous by doing that. Your job is to serve them and, and, and to learn everything that they're willing to share about their passions, the legacy they want to build, et cetera. So your job is to, is to, is to fully invest in them, be fully present with them and listen in, in an active, uh, intentional way. And, 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 and discover how you can serve them in a way that connects their interests to the cause you're representing. Uh, I, I, I've, I've had some big blunders on that before, and I've also you know, had some great successes because I remembered it. But I, I hope all the listeners of the podcast today will keep that in mind, that uh, your job is to be the listener and the servant and, and to put the other person before your own interests. Yeah, that, that's so good. And it, it's, it's one of these things that seems so simple, and a lot of people say it, all the time, but we forget about it so much. And it's, and it's, you know, this John, but I'm speaking to you out there, uh, you know, major gift officer, Bob and Sue, uh, the reason we speak so much a lot of the times, well, one, we're nervous Two, we think that by just like giving, we want to give them as much information as possible because we think, the more information they know, the better they're going to be able to make a decision. And and all that leads to is somebody just sitting there, just listening to your stupid talk about something they don't care about. And so so listen. And and when the time comes, like when when you ask somebody a question, like and questions come into it, that's ask questions, then you can listen. Like, what are your top giving priorities? Or like, what do you want to see happen through your philanthropy? And then they start telling you things. Now, when you hear something that's meaningful to them, you can take out of your list of 20 reasons why you should give to Legatus. You can find the one that matters to them and highlight that in 60 seconds. And then now they've actually got a piece of information that's important and you can move on from there. And, uh, and and so I just think that that listening thing is so key because nobody <laughs> pe- people like to talk and they like to to feel valued and appreciated. And if you're just word vomiting on somebody for an hour, they will not feel good about that conversation. Yeah, I love that. And you know, just one anecdote I'll share too because this has happened a few times. You know occasionally you will have somebody say to you, gosh, you know, I've never told anyone this, especially in, in, in our, in our you know, space in the, in the Catholic you know, fundraising world, 
you know, when you really get rolling with somebody and when you presented yourself as someone who, who loves to listen and loves to learn and loves to serve, it's going to get to the point where they're like, my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm sharing this with you. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about this element of my faith life. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about how I wish I prayed the rosary, but I don't right now. I don't, I, I've, never, I've never told anybody about how, you know, sometimes uh, it's hard for me to get into confession. You know what I mean? Like, and, and think about that. I mean, like, you know, leave, leave the giving aside, leave, leave the, the professional aspect of it aside. For somebody to say to you that you have, you have promised me that you're a person of integrity and you have kept that promise to the point where I am willing to roll with you in this conversation like we are right now. And I'm willing to share something with you that I've never told anyone. I mean, mic drop moment, right? I mean, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm stunned. And, and imagine, you know, just, just the chemistry and the trust that, 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 uh, that comes from an exchange like that. It's happened to me a few times. And, and I think it's probably happened to you too, Kevin. It's, it's an important thing. Yeah. And, and that's what you just said is one of the reasons that I tell people, and I practice this myself, is never go into a visit deciding I am 100% definitely going to ask this person for a gift. Because if you've decided that, like, the only reason I'm here, the number one thing to accomplish is to ask this person for a gift, then someone could be leading up to this type of thing where they want to share something incredibly meaningful that's going to create a bond that could last decades, that could lead to millions of dollars in giving while they're alive or in their will, and you blew it because you decided, I don't want to listen to you. I want to ask you for this stupid $10,000 gift. That is that is one of the biggest errors we can make. And so we got to live. Hey, and, and, and real quick, if I could, what's the root of that mistake? It's, it's the same thing we've been talking about the whole time. Yeah. It's about it's, me. It's ego. Yeah. It's ego. It's about me. This is about me and what I want out of this conversation. And and if you're going into that, don't even don't even do the visit. If that's if you wake up that day and you're like, this is this is what this is going to be about. Cancel it. Say you're sick. I mean, whatever. Because because you're you're not going to succeed, and you're probably going to do damage to your organization's cause and and, and the profession as a whole. Because you're you're not there yet. You're not at the point where where you can go into that in, in a professional way. It's that serious, I think. And, and one other thing I just want to share too. I mean, like, just because we were talking about like listening and all that. So w- when you make an ask, right? Uh, you know, as a fundraiser, when you make a, a proposal, a presentation to the to the uh, uh, investor, potential investor you're talking to, the, the other thought I just want to say is j- just stop talking. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, yeah. What, once once you put on the table, you said this this is what this is what we'd like you to consider. Just whatever you have to do, if it's biting your tongue putting your hand over your face, putting your COVID mask up, whatever you got to do, just, uh, just stop talking and let, and let that person for God's sakes, consider what you've said and, and, and react again. It's about them, not about you. Yes. So that's, again, we're going into, this stuff is kind of like fundraising one oh one, but it's so, it's so important. That's, it needs to be repeated. Like I can't tell you how many people, I have seen who know you're supposed to shut up after you ask for the gift and then the gift is asked and there's this uncomfortable silence and then out comes. But we understand if, if, yeah. you know, you've got other priorities and I know you got kids yeah. in college and it's just like, shut up. Right. Like you're, <laughs> you're not helping anyone. No, it, 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 practice that discipline with you, with your teammates, with, with your mentors, with your, with your 
spouse, whoever will listen to you, just be like, hey, can we, can we simulate an exchange where I'm going to ask you for something and then I'm going to stop talking? Do it like 100 times and then, and then you'll probably work it out of your system. It took, it took me years. So, I mean, I, it's not easy. Yeah. yeah, seriously, practice this stuff. I, I tell people I'm coaching yeah. all the time, like, before you're like when you're getting used to asking somebody for a gift and just shutting up, I tell them just sit in front of the mirror. And I, I used to do this all the time in front of the mirror, just sitting in the car. Just I'd like you to prayerfully consider a gift of a hundred thousand dollars. I'd like you to prayerfully consider a gift of a hundred thousand dollars. Just get used to saying it because it's when you're in the moment, it's it's scary and it's it's new uncharted waters and uh, it's easy to screw it up. Yeah, my, my tactic actually tied in my faith too. I mean, I remember I would, uh, I, w- I would kind of like look slightly down and I'd just say a quick, gl- quick glory be like in my head. You know what I mean? And, and typically halfway through the glory be, the other person would start talking, I'd be okay. But that, that's how, that's how I manage. That's awesome. So, yeah. so this is just a funny story from there's, there's a consultant I follow and, uh, he talks about, how when he got started in consulting, one of his mentors, this guy's name is Alan Weiss, but, but one of his mentors, uh, he was teaching him some different stuff. So he'd follow, he'd follow him around on some of his meetings. And this was back in like the, this was back in the, the either seventies or eighties. And this guy, he had a product that was essentially just like a piece of paper on, I don't know, like how to solve some problem in your business. And it was, it was just like a piece of paper with some very valuable information that this guy had come across. But, you know, he can produce this piece of paper for no extra time or money. And so sometimes when he's sitting down with a client, this would be the solution to their problem. And, and, and these are massive companies, you know, that, that you know, billion dollar companies, they got money to spend. And he would tell them about his solution and they would ask what the fee was. And he would say, the fee is $75,000. And then he would pull out a cigar from his pocket and put it in his mouth. And and after several times of Alan witnessing his mentor do this, he said, what's up with the cigar? Like, why do you do that? And he said, well, you know, $75,000 is just a stupid amount of money. And I, I realized if I don't put the cigar in my mouth, I can't help myself from laughing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal this. I'm, I'm going to carry a cigar around for now. It's great. Oh, man. So, yeah, you're... you're, you're and, uh, and you can't talk, right? If, if it's right. Wrong, you, can't say, you can't say something stupid, you know? <laughs> exactly. So... There's our uh, our tip for the day, but uh, man, this this has been great. Any other uh, thoughts you'd like to share with everybody, John? No, just uh, listen. Live boldly, live courageously, my friends. You're you're doing very important work. Uh, I have so much respect for uh, uh, frontline fundraisers in our profession that are out there uh, stewarding gifts and asking for new gifts. You really are my heroes. You're doing God's work. Uh, uh, never question that what you're doing is important and worthwhile and that you were called to it. And uh, if there's one thing I, I can leave you with, you know, seek that support from your team and from your community in, in your moments of weakness. Every single one of us has gone through it uh, and, and people want you to succeed. They want you to feel, feel good about what you're doing. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Wow. Well, that was amazing. Thank you, John. All right, brother. God bless. Was John Knowles with Legatus. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, 
You can like One Visit Away on Facebook or connect with me, Kevin Fitzpatrick, on LinkedIn. If you really want to help the show grow, please personally share this episode with other development professionals. I hope you enjoyed John's inspiring and encouraging words, and that helps you to want to go schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from a conversation about hot sauce that could be the next step to closing that next big gift. <laughs>